0: tracking the amazing growth of the 1st Century Church to challenge and inspire the 21st Century Church. This is Unstoppable Church, then and now. Recorded on location in Israel, Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Malta and Italy. Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont is in conversation for the next 30 minutes with David Tavener.
1: Well, here we are, Mike, in Jerusalem for the first of 52 conversations for this radio podcast series called Unstoppable Church, Then and Now. It sounds very exciting. Tell me more. Oh, it is going to be exciting, David. We are
2: going to be tracing in this series the story that we find in the book of Acts in the New Testament of how this small group of followers of Jesus huddled together and frightened, spread out from where we are now in Jerusalem across the known world of those days and how that story has continued to spread ever since and that no matter what came against them, nothing could stop that church growing. And not only are we going to look at the story of what happened then, we are going to look and see how does that apply to us today and why is the church of Jesus still as unstoppable today as ever it was?
1: Is it a sort of continuation of our
2: previous conversations, Jesus then and now? Well, in many ways it is, because uh, in that series we came to the conclusion of the story, as we find in the four gospel records of Jesus's life and teaching and finally his death. He had just across the valley from where we are now, we, we are on the Mount of Olives, looking across to the old city, and we saw how Jesus was crucified there, but on the third day rose again from the dead, appeared to his followers, and then returned to his father in heaven. And it's interesting, Luke's account is almost overlapping with the account in Acts, which begins with that period of Jesus's life when he was teaching his disciples after the resurrection before he returned to his father. And it's that little overlap that, that gives us a little bit of a clue into who lay behind the book of Acts that we're looking at together.
1: You mentioned Luke. So just remind who who is Luke then? How does he fit into the picture? Yeah,
2: well, Luke was one of the, he was not one of the original 12 disciples, not even that larger group of 70 that followed Jesus that is referred to uh, in the Gospels. Uh, But Luke became a Christian at some point and joined up with the Apostle Paul. We'll find that later on in the story as we come to it. Luke was a a medical doctor and so quite used to looking at detail and facts and dealing with facts and so on. And when he became a Christian, he decided, or at least he was led by the Holy Spirit, perhaps we should say, to begin to pull together some of the traditions and stories of Jesus that he'd heard. And he did that in his gospel, Luke's gospel, though it looks like he based his story around an earlier gospel story, Mark, and used his framework and used some of those stories, but also other stories that he picked up, as he says, from his careful interviewing of eyewitnesses. So this is not just him making up stories. Um, He says that he had carefully investigated everything from the beginning at the beginning of his gospel. And then having told that story, being a companion of Paul, he takes the opportunity then to do story part two. So there was Jesus then in his life but Jesus through his Holy Spirit is still alive today Luke wants us to know and is working through the followers of Jesus so in the book of Acts he goes on to tell us the sort of the continuation of that story but all of it through in some cases his own eyewitnesses because later in the book we'll get some we passages we concluded we went across in other words he was there and from some of those earlier stories, from his careful investigation of everything that had happened from the beginning, as he puts it. So is it just really history? Well, it is history, but not merely history. Um, I think it's really important that in both the Gospels and in Acts, what we've got here is not fabricated stories. Now, people have thought that sometimes. You know, here's a reading back of what Jesus was and did. He was a a good moral teacher and people began to create these myths and stories around him or myths and stories around the church. So it is is story, it is history, but it's more than history. Uh, It's sort of history with interpretation, history with explanation. So I firmly believe that what we've got, both in Luke's gospel and in Luke's book of Acts, um, is that we've got history... That is, things that really happened, but also under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, implications drawn out. So they're not just random stories. He's not just sat there thinking, what shall I say next? Under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he's brought together the key stories. So we don't get absolutely everything that happened. What I do love, we'll get some good things. We'll also get the account in Acts of some things that did happen and ought not to have happened and that frankly were a shame on the church, which in itself speaks of its authenticity. Because I think if I were writing the book of Acts, I I would have written it a little bit better. You know, I'd have missed out all the bad bits. But no, Luke's going to put those in as well to show that just because you become a follower of Jesus, you don't become perfect overnight. You still get things wrong at times and the church did at times. So... Just history? Merely history? No. History definitely, but history chosen carefully to bring home its implications for us today and to show that this church of Jesus really is unstoppable. That's one of the key things that Luke wants us to grasp in reading this story with him.
1: Did he have a particular reader in mind?
2: Well, I think um, he... Definitely had in mind one person, first of all. Um, In both the beginning words of Luke and Acts he refers to someone called Theophilus, to whom he dedicates both works. Uh, Now, we don't know who that guy was, but he was some high official, and it looks like he might have been sort of the patron of Luke, who paid for the production of these works, so almost certainly, therefore, a Christian himself. Now, remember, writing in those days wasn't a case of just getting out your computer or your phone. Uh, writing was a very professional skill it was also very expensive parchment was expensive and so to write books of the length that Luke wrote in both his gospel and acts you know took a bit of money and Theophilus looks to have been his sponsor and so he dedicates both books and it's that little dedication that is our first little window into the fact it was the same author uh, who wrote both but of course It's more than just Theophilus as one person. Theophilus means lover of God. And this book that we're going to be looking at is is really for every lover of God, anyone who wants to know God better, anyone who wants to know Jesus better, anyone who wants convincing that This group of people who follow Jesus is unstoppable. This is a book for you. And this is why it's still so exciting and still as relevant today as when Luke first wrote it. It's for anyone who wants to be gripped with the story of what happens when Jesus comes into our life and into our corporate community, transforms us. And when we get behind him and his mission, wow, exciting things begin to happen.
1: Well, let's uh, allow the curtain to go up, shall we say, and hear the opening scene. Well, let's read the first few
2: verses, shall we? So the book of Acts begins like this. So here's just the first five verses. In my former book, Theophilus, there he is, that guy I've just referred to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. ...after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy
1: Spirit. A couple of things <laughs> jump out at me. Uh, one is quite a lot was going on then for, what, 40 days, and then there was this sort of everyday eating together moment. But just, just tell us a bit more about the, the 40 days. What, what was happening then?
2: Yeah, so after Jesus's resurrection, he didn't simply return to heaven. He spent these 40 days with his disciples doing what? Giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, convincing them that he was alive. I find that interesting. He had to convince them. Yeah, you know, these people often say, oh, they were just gullible, weren't they? Or, uh, you know, it was just a hallucination. They thought Jesus had, or, had risen from the dead. But Here is Jesus sort of having to convince them again and again and the next day and the next day and giving them these many convincing proofs that he was alive. So part of this 40-day appearance is is an underlining of it really is me. Look, feel, touch me again. It really is me. Yeah, yeah, I think we're getting it, Lord. But of course, it wasn't just he wanted them to know that he was alive. He he wanted them to understand why it was that he was alive again. And so he teaches them about God's kingdom. Now, was that something new? No, absolutely not. As we've seen in another series that you and I have done together, Jesus, then and now in 30 minutes, teaching about the kingdom was fundamental to his whole teaching ministry. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God means the rule of God. Letting God come and rule in our lives individually and corporately. And when we let God rule, everything changes. So he teaches them about the kingdom again. But what's different now? What's different now is that he has risen. And it looks as if he's now going over his teaching again about the kingdom but in the light of the fact he's risen so that the penny is slowly dropping, oh, I see what you mean by that now. So it's an unpacking of what the rule of God means in the light of the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, paid the price of our sin, conquered all evil, conquered Satan, and he is now victorious. He has overcome the greatest enemy that mankind faces, us, death. If he can do that, then he and his followers, the church, are truly unstoppable. So a lot of teaching in those 40 days before he returns to his father in heaven about what the kingdom is, in light of the fact that he is now really risen.
1: And then when Luke mentions this, sort of they were eating together, just a sort of everyday occurrence almost. Yes.
2: And uh, you see, by the way, it's it's interesting, isn't it? He mentions that they were eating together. Uh, You know, ghosts don't eat, spirits don't eat. So it's a little underlining of the fact that when Jesus came back, he really did come back as a resurrected human being. You know, he'll say to them, put your fingers in my hands, he'll say to Thomas in the upper room in the Gospels. You know, he sits and eats and walks and talks with them. So it is the real Jesus, the same Jesus who was there. And yet life is carrying on as normal. There's stuff going on, including just the eating and sharing together, eating a very important part of life then. Of course, not just to keep you going for sustenance, but eating was so often where you shared hearts together, where rabbis often taught together. So, yeah, this is, life is going on, and yet life can never go on in the same way that it used to go on, because the risen
1: Jesus is now eating with them. And so while they're eating together, Jesus chooses that moment to, to say something fairly significant. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? it it's like,
2: you know, it, it doesn't gather a big meeting and say, okay, you know, seven o'clock on uh, Shabbat night, we, you know, we've got this big announcement to make. It is just in the midst of one of the ordinary things of life. Do you know, I love that about God. God so often, if we will open our ears, has things to say to us in the ordinary routine of life. Not just when we go to some meeting at church on Sunday or as Christians can often think, a big conference or convention somewhere. If we'll open our ears, it's often just in the ordinary interactions, the ordinary events of life that God speaks to us. And it's, it's during this meal, I, I love how Luke says here, on one occasion while he was eating, is, oh, by the way, <laughs> it's, it almost has that feel, doesn't it? But on this one occasion, life's just going on as normal and all of a sudden, Jesus drops in this incredible command and we've called our first episode haven't we commanded the church is commanded and here's this command and they could have almost missed it if they'd not heard it don't leave jerusalem but wait for the gift
1: that my father promised so it wasn't a sort of i'd prefer if you didn't it's a command yeah, and you know what? Before this session, I,
2: I looked up the Greek here just to make sure it wasn't a case of the uh, English wording. And uh, the word that's used here really is the word for command. In fact, it sometimes translates command, order, direct, charge. Now, you know, all those English words like, whoa, this sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? Mm. And I've often thought, you know, We often think about, you know, oh, Jesus invited me to do this. Uh, I I felt the Lord wanted me to do this. Um, I felt Jesus directed me uh, in this way. But this is really stark and perhaps is an emphasis that we neglect sometimes in the West. You know, Jesus has become so much our friend and our buddy that it's easy for us to forget he is our Lord, he is our master. And the sort of Lord, master, slave language of the New Testament really underlines that. But, you know, we don't often hear sermons, do we, on, you know, being a slave to Jesus, but this really is a command. This is no, mm, do you know what, might be good if you hung around for a few days, got a little surprise for you, is a clear command, a clear direction this is something really important that they hear and act
1: upon. Maybe not the first time that Jesus had talked about commands.
2: No, not at all. I mean, if you think back to uh, some of the Gospels, uh, one that comes to mind immediately is in in John 14, where he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Um, And again, in the modern West, you know, we're very good on the first part of that sentence, if you love me. But what about the second part? You will, ooh, the next word's quite strong, isn't it? Obey my, Oh, hello, it's getting even stronger, my commands. And I really believe a, a relationship with Jesus is so important. It really is possible as we put our faith in him to have a relationship with God through Jesus, the sort of relationship where we can have a conversation with him as we go through the day in our ordinary lives. But, you know, sometimes that sense of relationship can also take away this sense that he is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And therefore, he has the right to command us. Um, And if you love me, Jesus said in John's Gospel, then you will do what I've commanded you. Wow, that,
1: that is quite challenging isn't it because does jesus then give a sort of new take on on commands i'm thinking you know the ten commandments you know which i think we'd prefer to think were ten options (laughs) yeah it's interesting though you know even that word we
2: use there the ten uh, commandments uh, and they are commandments but that's not the word that's used in the hebrew in the old testament they're called there the ten words (laughs) and it's almost like god saying you know here's my Ten little words, if only you followed these words, um life would would change now, they are commandments in that sense because he he tells us to do them, but very often we think in contrast to the Old Testament, don't we you know all these commandments in the Old Testament Christians will think, you know. Commandments about what you wear, what you eat, you know, how you live, wear tassels on your robes, don't eat pork, this long list of whoa, and then the scribes and the Pharisees came along and make commandments even longer and more burdensome. And of course, by the time Jesus came, those commandments had become so intolerable, so burdensome that he cuts through them and gets back to the very heart of: do you know what God wants? Love God, love your neighbour as yourself. But that's not an excuse, therefore, for not following the commands that Jesus clearly does give us in the New Testament. And if the church is going to be unstoppable, then we have to get back to where we see what Jesus says in the New Testament as being his command, not as a heavy thing, And that's the trouble of command these days. Whoa, heavy, you know, who are you to take away my rights? Tell me what to do. Not as a heavy thing, but as a liberating thing, as a thing that will take us into truth. And if we are going to see the church as unstoppable in the 21st century, and let's face it, there are plenty of things, people, values, that would want to stop us, that would want us to say, you get back into your private box over there, Stay out of the public arena. Don't come and interfere with what we think. If we are going to be unstoppable, then we are going to have to get back, both as individuals and as Christ communities, the importance of this word, commanded, doing what Jesus said. And do you know what? Sometimes we will understand it, and sometimes we won't. Like, you know, when he said here, um, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait you know, Jerusalem was still a bit of a risky place to be. Jesus' enemies hadn't gone away. They hadn't suddenly thought, oh, we got it all wrong, didn't we? He's risen, so hey, we'll change our mind. No, they were still very much opposed to Jesus. They were still very much opposed to his followers, as we'll see in these early chapters of Acts. So when he says to them, wait, you know, wait in this city, this city was not the easiest place to wait in. So sometimes when Jesus speaks to us it won't seem comfortable, may not even seem safe, certainly won't always seem logical because God's ways are not always our ways. But here's this clear command, wait. Don't leave this city even though everything in you might want to make you leave. Don't leave this city, wait. Now David, if they'd disobeyed that command, whoa, do you know what? This book of Acts may well not have been in our Bibles or certainly not in the way that we have it today. Thank God that they waited and they obeyed his command that day because of all the exciting things that would follow.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at waiting. Waiting's not an easy thing to do.
2: (sighs) David, waiting's not something any of us find easy to do is it I I think waiting for most of us is the most difficult thing in life you know whether it's at one time it would have been waiting for a letter to arrive you know these days we can't even wait 30 seconds for someone to answer our whatsapp or our email can we you know and we look and we see the little two blue ticks on whatsapp and we think I know you've seen my message I know you've read it come on why haven't you answered me yet And even waiting 30 seconds can seem like a long time of waiting for us in our very speedy um, society in the West today. And and yet it's so clear in the Bible that that waiting for God's moment is so vital uh, again and again. One of my, well, I was going to say my favourite verses in the Old Testament, is favourite but not favourite, is Isaiah 64 verse 4, which says, Since ancient times no eye has seen, no ear has heard any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. In other words, God acts while I wait. Now, most of us want to turn that round today. We want to make God wait while we act. And then if how we've acted doesn't work out. We want to call on him and say, oh God, bit stuck here, can you help us? No, God acts while I wait. And these disciples were going to have to wait 10 days until that Jewish festival of Pentecost in this city as we will seeing upcoming episodes, waiting, praying until this promised Holy Spirit was given. They would have to wait. I'm sure those days, you know, weren't easy. Sounds great. Oh, you know, there's a 10 day prayer meeting. Wonderful. But remember, it was, it was 10 days of praying against this atmosphere of the religious authorities being against them, of possibly knocking on the door or banging the door down any moment. And yet they waited. And during that time, God was getting ready to act, just waiting. What for? The right moment, the day of Pentecost. Why the day of Pentecost? To give the Holy Spirit, well, our listeners are just going to have to wait till we come to our next episode to talk about that. But waiting is so important. So if Jesus commands us something, it's important that we also say, when, Lord, you know, is that something now I need to go and do now? Or is it something I just need to wait, bide my time, just let you put the chess pieces into place on the board until you whisper in my heart, now. And when we respond to God's command in God's timing, then God's church is truly unstoppable.
1: There's a danger that whilst we're waiting, we can fall into the trouble of thinking that nothing's happening even within us.
2: Yeah, and uh, it probably reveals a lot about us, isn't it? And us wanting to be God and us wanting to fix things. And and I've discovered over the many years that I've now walked with Jesus that waiting is often the time when he's working stuff in you, revealing wrong motives in your heart, revealing impatience in your heart, revealing your lack of trust in your heart. And when God causes us to wait, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he does care, but because he cares enough to not you know, respond to us like the little baby who cries and the mum comes running instantly to it, but to say, hey, no, you're growing up now and you need to learn how to wait for my moment when I will respond to you.
1: Now, you said that they didn't have to wait too long. There was an indication of how long they would be waiting for, but did they understand what they were waiting for? I'm not sure they did. Well, they did not
2: they didn't, as it were, He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So obviously he has talked about the Holy Spirit to them. And we know that, for example, John 14, 15, 16, there's a lot of teaching there about the Holy Spirit. But then he says, John baptized with water, and they would have thought instantly back to the River Jordan, seeing John immersing people, plunging them under the waters, of the River Jordan, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John pushing people under the water, us going to be pushed under the water as the Holy Spirit. What what does that mean? So I think they understood and they didn't understand. And, you know, I often think of uh, what must those 10 days have been like when they were uh, in that room praying together. Um Lord, you know, you've, you've promised to send um, this Holy Spirit to us, this, you know, whoever it is and whatever it is, Lord, we want it, please. So I'm not even sure they knew what they were praying for. But they knew it was going to be good. Jesus had taught them enough to know that when he promised to send them the Holy Spirit, when he promised to send them, he called the Holy Spirit another counsellor, another one like me. So whatever it was, although Jesus was going to leave them shortly from close to where we are now on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the old city of Jerusalem, he was going to send someone else like him. So they probably knew but didn't know. And, you know, isn't that so often like us? You know, we have a sense of what God might want to do. But when we trust him, what God wants to do is always bigger and better and beyond whatever we could have anticipated and expected ourselves.
1: And these were, some of them at least, men from Galilee. We're in Jerusalem. I mean, it would have been tempting to sort of head back home, really, wouldn't it? Oh, I think it
2: would. And, uh, you know, most of them were married and had families, so it would have been very tempting to go back and to think, well, you know, that was a good three years together. Uh, with Jesus wasn't it and you know, well it's all over now why don't we head back home but no here's this word commanded thank God they obeyed his command to wait because without that the Holy Spirit would not have been given in the way that we see him given in the next chapter of Acts thank God they waited thank God they
1: obeyed and didn't go back home so it sounds like our sort of key word for this conversation is is commanded. So maybe just sort of summarise for us, you know, the relevance of that for us today then. Well, I think we,
2: to go back to something I spoke about just a little earlier is, you know, we have become very accustomed in the West to, to thinking of, of Jesus inviting us to do things, Jesus, you know, saying, I think it would be good if you... Were to do this, and it 's become a much more invitational why, why don 't you walk with me and hey, Jesus wants relationship with us, but you know maybe sometimes we just need to get back to this word commanded, and to remember that when Jesus says something, he really does mean it. If Jesus promises something, he really does mean it. you know we love taking his commands about the promises. What about the commands when he cuts into our life a little bit. What about the commands when it's going to cause us to put our hands in our pocket? What about his commands when it's going to cause us to live differently to the way our friends do in our office or at work? Are we going to obey his commands promptly then? Well, if the church is going to be unstoppable in the 21st century, like it was in the book of Acts, we are going to have to take that word seriously again. So that when we see Jesus' commands in the New Testament, we see them as what they are, commands, not invitations, not polite suggestions, not, hey, might be worth trying this out. No, this is a command, an order, a direction, a charge to us. And how the church in the 21st century might become unstoppable again, like it was in the book of Acts, if we took that word commanded seriously once again.
0: Mike Beaumont and David Tavener, traveling from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond to track the amazing growth of the first century church and what that means for the unstoppable church of the 21st century. There are more Bible podcasts from Mike and David on the UCB Player app and major podcast platforms. Check out Jesus Then and Now or Bible Books in 30 Minutes.